Thanks for tuning in to Perspectives YYC. In today's episode, I got to sit down with Anna Cooley, a film director, a production company owner, a creative, just a very interesting woman who's uh, making movies, which is, I think is really cool. We met at the Female Filmmakers panel, and from there I asked her to join me to give me a more personal understanding of her life and her approach to art and um, how that relates to our city here in Calgary. I hope uh, you enjoyed the episode. Uh, if you can, just throw me some feedback, send us a follow, a like, a subscription to engage with us. Let us know how we're doing. slow and with long pause. I wonder if Kyle will fall asleep. Just gently. I'll talk like I talk to my kids at camp when it's time for bed. How are you this morning? I'm good. I'm, I'm good. A little nervous. Oh, uh, we've got Anna Cooley with us. Have you done a podcast before? Uh, yeah, the okay. Alberta Filmmakers Podcast invited Ooh. me for an episode. Okay. So. How did that go? Is that just you one-on-one, or was that like a group? Uh... It was just me and Scott and Matt. No, oh, cool. Yeah. How'd that go? I I think it was all right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was a while ago, a couple of years ago. Uh, usually I ask people how we met, uh, but I guess for us it's fairly recently, but um, how did we meet? Well, uh, you invited me to join the uh, f- female filmmaker panel a few weeks ago. It was fun. That was actually Kyle's idea. In January, um, Kyle was talking about business plans and structure. And I was like, nah, I'm good. And then he's like, you know, it'd be really cool is if we um, find very interesting people, uh, be it in any field, get them on mics and see if we could sell tickets to a show. And then uh, Kyle is also a big movie buff, uh, musical theater buff. Like he just loves sort of performing arts. And then, yeah, we made it. I got your name through, I think, Katie at CSIF, and uh, it was it was awesome. Yeah, it was fun. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I really liked it. I I guess we wanted to get Calgary creators in front of more people. I don't know. I mean, is that something that filmmakers get asked to do often, to kind of describe what that craft is? I guess mostly to each other, like mm. in the context of a film festival, and and it's usually people who are interested in the industry itself or or their creators themselves who are interested in that. I was surprised by the the turnout. I mean, I know there were creators who came, but um, I think in the context of the Oscars and people thinking about filmmaking, maybe there was a little more interest there. It's interesting in as well that you bring that up, which is you know movies, especially sort of this blockbuster entertainment thing such a mainstream um, event. And yet, when if you ask someone whether they want to know how they're made and who is making them and what are the different processes, most people draw blank. Uh, I wonder how much of that reflects on art in general or if it's particular to your craft that 
um, the end product, especially because it's so typically polished and clean, has its own narrative. People just kind of take it for granted a little bit. They take it for granted, but they also experience it the way it's supposed to be experienced. I mean, if they're right. thinking about how it's made while they're watching it, they're probably being taken out of the storytelling a bit. And usually if people like something or don't like something, it's for a reason and they don't necessarily know what that is. And that's, I think that's fine. And I, I guess in the context of of film and television, they're used to talking about the things that they recognize. So they talk a lot about the actors in it, say, and and if it's, you know, a very stylistic film, they can usually name those directors. But but other than that, like the surface things that they they can pick out, they don't they don't really think about them and, and that might be all right. It's also nice that the Oscars come around and they do think about them. Uh, they see all these other people walking up on stage collecting awards and they're like, oh, yeah, I guess someone has to record the sound. I guess someone made those costumes. I guess someone designed that set. And and that's that's cool, too. I have so many things just from that. Little, I mean, number one, I guess it's interesting, for example, as a photographer, if I look at photography, I can't help sometimes, unfortunately or fortunately dissecting, criticizing, or trying to get into how it was done, what they must have done, etc. Um, and you're right, it it, uh, it definitely changes the experience of it. Um, perhaps these, at least in my craft, photographers that seem to transcend that are the ones that are able, through some magic, um, to transport me to their narrative, even though I might have to question, you know, if they're doing film, how they light this, you know, what were the people doing, how do you... But um, there are certain photographers I've come across where I, I just, I can't even go there. I just look at a picture. I'm like, holy, holy crap. I'm like, look at, look at whatever that is. I mean, how much of that is intentional and how much of that is intuitive and, uh, you know, quote unquote, the talent of um, your particular approach to your particular craft. Um, so for example, as a director, producer, um, how much of that do you have in mind as you plan a film? Because um, it sounds like it's quite important, obviously. Uh, you're actually telling a story, whereas most of the still other mediums are, you know, they're in essentially instant freeze frame. Um, you get this one box, for lack of a better term, to just tell your story. But with a movie or a song or something, but particularly the movie, you, often you get to just go from beginning to end. Yeah, it's definitely something that we think about all the time. I think it's safe to say. The term I'll use and I use when I'm watching a film is, does it take you out? I'm pretty good at watching something and for the first time I watch it, I'm just I'm just immersed in it. I I find something about it that I enjoy and I, I focus on that and I, I stay with the movie. I stay in it. It's when I'm taken out of it that, that I know there's something wrong or if whether it's like a technical thing that's that's taking me out of that story or it's uh a writing thing, like something doesn't feel right, a character does something and I don't understand where that's coming from. So as a filmmaker, I'm I'm always trying to avoid something that will take somebody out of the story. Um, now that being said, you can never appeal to everyone. So that's why it's important to know who your audience is and, and how you're serving them, the kind of people who will want to watch uh, that film, want to hear that story, see it, and and serve them, and try and make a film that doesn't take them out of the moments that you're 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 creating for them. If you fail to immerse someone in the story you're telling, that's 
that's a big deal, I think. And, and it's kind of the goal for me as a filmmaker is to draw someone in for five minutes, half an hour, an hour, an hour and a half, however long that, that experience is, that project is. I want them to be in it and to stay there. As we were chatting outside, I just uh, did this ATV entrepreneurial workshop, et cetera. One of the things that came up is that I have no idea who my audience is, whether that means it's too broad or it's too selfish and it's been about myself. I don't know. That's going to be my reflection moving forward. But hearing terms like taking them out or, um, you know, um, reviewing the project as you're building it to ensure that whatever your intended narrative is actually present there are fascinating to me, both from, uh, let's say, magazine or this podcast or photography and visual arts. Um, I don't do that, I don't think, intentionally, which uh, might explain why I uh, you know, don't know where I'm at right now. It's funny because it's something that I, it took a while to, to get there for me, um, because when you're making something and you're, you're like, well, I want to appeal to as many people as possible. Like, I want to make this universal. I want to tell a story that, you know, impacts everyone who, who hears it, who sees it, who experiences it. Change the world. Exactly. <laughs> um, and like when, when you're asked the question, because for me going to events and talking about film all the time with as many people as possible, people are like, who's your audience? Who does this appeal to? And you cannot say everyone. If you say everyone, they'll roll their eyes and say that that's not an answer. That's not to say that some things don't appeal to a large group of people, but you kind of have to narrow it down because it's also hard to serve a large group of people. And so if you if you decide who who's most important, who are you making this for? Like um, for a project that I'm doing now, it's it's about teenagers and young people. And, and so even though I think it's a story that can transcend that and, and impact a, a, a large group of people, really I'm serving young, young people who are struggling with growing up, struggling with identity issues and, and um, finding their place um, in the world. And, and so that's my that's my core audience, you know. I've I've chosen that as as the core audience, and then, you know, in my mind, I've got secondary um, people in mind that I think it'll appeal to, and I'll market to them as well, and I'll reach out to them as well. But you know, I've got my core group, where it's like these are the people who I'm serving with this project. You know, I, I wonder if that's a good segue then to ask you about that experience and how you come to this ability and that intent. So, um, you know, how did you get in? to the biz and uh, you know that's a very loose question but um maybe we can explore that and you can give me this sort of travel um so i can understand better how you come to for example deciding that uh, teenagers are a good audience that you want to appeal with said story as opposed to uh you know grant torino clint eastwood on his lawn telling everyone to go fuck themselves uh you know because those are two different stories i think presumably so um how do yeah how do we get into film <laughs> wow. Okay. That, that'll be a journey. Um, well, I'll, I'll start at the very beginning. I grew up with two artists for parents. My mom's a painter. My dad's a sculptor. They met at the Alberta College of Art and Design. And um, I had a little sister, um, Emily, almost three years younger than me. And we would play in the art studio with plasticine and make characters and tell stories together. And, uh, and then my family got a 
Handycam that was simple enough for me to operate and use. And um, I started shooting little documentaries when I was 11. Like documentaries, you were intending them to be documentaries? Yeah, stories? Oh, yeah, for school projects. And, and then I uh, started to animate just things on my desk, stop motion animation, make stuff move around. And then I worked that into my school projects, um, science, math, language arts, it didn't matter. If I could make a film about the subject matter that I had to submit a project for, I would I would do it. Like throughout sort of my teenage years, I was always making films and I was super interested in politics and social justice. I was in uh, the debate club in high school. I, I studied French. I uh, really liked dance and music and art and it dawned on me that film actually explored all of these things, had the potential to let me explore all of those art forms, um, which was very exciting. And so that's when I decided to pursue it as a career. I, I went to work after high school and earned enough money to buy a little camera and get a laptop and made a short film uh, through M Media and decided that, yes, this is what I wanted to do. Um, took every opportunity to, you know, volunteer at a channel, carrying the camera around. Uh, actually, it had just become City TV at that point, but, you know, helping to shoot promos and, and stuff like that. And then I um, went to the SATE um, film and video production program. And uh, after there, jumped right into the industry, um, working in the art department. I grew up in an art studio, so I was able to transfer those skills uh, right into the art department. Hmm. So uh, amazing. I mean, uh, this has always been a part of your life. Oh, yeah, <laughs> for sure. I didn't really have a chance. Okay. <laughs> um, and then, you know, you get in, you still obviously still have to kind of work your way from the bottom, even though you've been directing stop motion uh, films. It reminds me of my little sister. She's exceptionally, she's a firefighter now, but mm -hmm. she's... Uh, I uh, was always an amazing creator, and her and her friend would yeah do stop motion animation. Their kids and she's kind of crazy uh, painting and all this stuff. But um, as you go through that, and then you get into the film industry, um, yeah, what is that sort of ladder that goes up? Like you're starting in a art department. What does that actually mean? Like what are you actually doing at that stage? Because you're not uh, behind a camera yet, not a, not professionally. I'm sure you're behind cameras uh, on your spare time, but um, so what is that? What is the grind? Uh, it was touched upon a little bit at the panel, but um, what does it take uh, to keep, what do you have to push through? Uh, well, to start with, I just want to say there's no right way mm. of getting in. I'm sure there's a billion wrong ways, but um, yeah, there's no direct path to but um, one thing you can do is, uh, up until that point, I had, you know, gotten a camera, made a short film, it got into a festival, very exciting. You know, you, you, you build the passion for it, and that's important. You'll need that going forward, because if you don't have passion for film, you should not bother, because it's hard. It's hard. <laughs> it's, no matter what, it's, it's, uh, it's long hours, it's unpredictability. So uh, specifically for that, you can join... Um, one of the unions or guilds here in Calgary, and they exist everywhere pretty much. Um, I joined IATSE 212, 
and uh, as a permit. And you start at the bottom of their permit roster. I I was lucky. I'd uh, art directed a state college project that was a period piece and had a whole bunch of costumes and special effects. And I I did that with a, the help of a few other classmates, but I, I was the head of that. And I used that to get into the art department trainee position, which I, which I got uh, shortly after um, I graduated from SAIT uh, on the pilot of Hell on Wheels, cool. uh, which was amazing for me because I'm a giant nerd and, and history buff. And so my job was pretty much visual historical research for the project. So I read the scripts and I read a history book about the building of the Transcontinental Railroad. And I just researched images from the era that had something to do with the sets that we were going to be building. And I printed them off and put them on the wall so that we had just a visual database of the things that the art department was going to have to design and the set decoration department was going to have to uh, assemble and the construction department was going to have to build and the props department was going to have to source. So um, when you're when you bring everyone together, uh, we're all working off the same the same uh, material. We know what we're we're looking for. We know what we're after. And that was really wonderful. Um, John Blackie, the production designer of that show, was very generous with his time and instruction. And and uh, I felt very privileged to be in that like because the art department's a small department we had i think uh five people and you know doing the autocad blueprints of of the sets and designing the graphics and and um yeah interpreting the visual world of of that series and i did the pilot of that and then i did the first season in the art department as well the next summer so that was um very informative and wonderful. Pretty cool. I, a couple, just one point uh, from a terminology, but what does a permit mean? It just means, mm-hmm. yeah. So um, in joining uh, the union, you start out with no history uh, of work with them. Yes. And so it's it's kind of like a period of time in which you earn membership. So you have to work a certain number of hours. You have to have a certain number of supervisors who then write you recommendations and um, once you get those, you uh, you then um, become a member, which entitles you to you know healthcare coverage and and investment opportunities and protection and representation uh, from from the union. So yeah, cool. So there's yeah a literal aspect whether they're going to permit you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> As opposed to this licensing permit sort of language words. Oh, yeah, yeah. You have been permitted. That's yeah. interesting. Um, the other thing that I, I think is interesting, I, maybe it comes from, I mean, obviously you as an individual and your personality type, but, um, you know, having parents that are artists, you know, all of your anecdotal, your anecdotes, let's say, involve you wanting to do something but actually doing it. So, like, you don't seem to be someone that gets too caught up in your head about what you could and would be doing. Rather, it's like, I got into the art department because I was running this thing and I just put, you know, I did the research, I put the things on the wall so that everybody could see it as opposed to, it would have been a good idea or I think this would be cool and then getting stuck a lot. I I mean, I meet a lot of um, artists, but not even just within our world, like, you know, 
um, accountants and engineers stuff where there's so much of this rhetoric about why they can't do something as opposed to this is what I need to just do right now. Um, yeah. To be fair, I put the pictures on the wall because they told me to. I just <laughs> enjoyed doing it. Um, but I know what you're, you mean. I know what your point is. Um, yeah, I, uh, I think I was... I inherited a fair amount of audacity from my from my father especially but from my parents. I don't know arrogance is the wrong word but it's just I don't have the hindrance of why I shouldn't do something. And I get asked that a lot like why 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 would you do that? Like why are you telling that story? And oftentimes that's the first time I've considered the why. Like I I have I have reasons for why I think people will enjoy it. But I never think about why I'd do it in the first place um, until until I'm asked. And sometimes it's hard to answer that. Yeah. I, does that answer your question? Kind of. No, I mean, it, it's funny. I um, My sister, uh, Patricia, I love you, says that I talk about myself too much in my podcast. But um, listening to you, I, I, uh, there's a, the new Ricky Gervais, I don't know the name, on Netflix, and the base premise is he's, uh, his, his wife has passed away. Uh, so he decides that he just doesn't give a fuck and he's just going to say whatever's on his mind. And it's dark because he's also depressed and he's delving into addiction and suicide and stuff. So it's not, you know, how his work is. It's never all the way one thing, but he's, he's such an amazing asshole as a character. Um, but it reminds me a little bit, again, as we talked in the pre-talk, like I was just on Facebook and I got a rating of a 785% asshole rating for myself somehow. Uh, which I am not sure I disagree with. It's funny uh, and it's it's a joke, but um, my coming into this world later in life, I'm turning 41 this year, um, and listening to you say that, I, re I resonate with that, which is that um, even at the entrepreneur meetings, like, oh, you don't know your audience, and, you know, hopefully we'll get to talk about this thing about money and planning. And then I say, well, I have a magazine and I already do a podcast, you know, a Kyle willing. Um, and they, and they get shocked because like, how, I mean, how do you do that? Cause, and you're just like, well, you just do it. You just go and do some stuff and you worry about the why and think about it later. But I, I don't know. So I, it's kind of interesting hearing you say that. Cause, uh, I think there's some power to that. There's something important that maybe the regular average or, or people that feel unhappy are missing that they're too worried about what they shouldn't do. And, you just go and do a bunch of stuff. Uh, maybe that's oversimplifying. I don't know. There's a happy medium for sure. But I think if you need proof that something's going to work before you do it, you might never innovate. You might never take that ne next step. And, and I often wish I'd known more after I do something. But I might not ever have learned that if I hadn't have done it. I'm really dealing with that right now. Um, my my partner in Erratic Pictures, our production company, and I are working on a project that's quite a bit different than anything that has ever been made before. And justifying that to anyone else has been difficult. Mm. And um, if it wasn't a project that we really believed was going to work and, and was going to at least advance how... Um, we tell stories and how we understand how that's done, it would be really hard to move forward. But we, we just have a very strong belief in the project. And so 
we're justifying a lot of things and our response to a lot of questions are, we'll, we'll find out, you know, we'll see if this works. Like that's part of the joy because it's, it's, it's tricky and, and you're talking about going to a, a business um, workshop mm-hmm. and, and that's true. And it's something we don't often talk about when we talk about the arts is it's also a business and we're not just artists, we're business owners. Like we have to run a company. And that's, those are two very different things. Like I, I talk to people sometimes and, and, you know, they're like, well, I'm just an accountant. It's like, oh, I wish I was an accountant. <laughs> like my life would be so much better if, an, if I was an accountant. And like, can you imagine if you had to like every, every year the government demanded that you create a, a painting and submit it to them every year? Like you're not a painter. That would be very stressful for you, I bet. Hmm. Um, like it's, it's just, we, we have to consider all these things that are outside the scope of what we do sort of, but really are inherently part of it. And I think, I find that like, even though I'm audacious and I go out and I do the thing, I do spend quite a bit of time in my head, um, justifying to myself why I'm doing this, like why I deserve to do this, why I should tell this story why i should use these resources to do this thing it's it's a it's an ongoing battle and if it wasn't if i didn't have my audience to serve like if i didn't believe in the stories i was telling if i didn't think that you know the way that i i was going to show people this perspective or or this story had was going to have an effect or or influence people in some way i don't know if i could do it yeah I, I, i'm jotting down some i mean one of the things that's interesting to me is and I, I end up a lot in this area of semantics is you know you brought up creativity but i wonder if it needs to be sort of disassociated with the world of art and maybe creativity just means what you're talking about, like this impetus drive or audaciousness to just do something and that doing of it becomes creative. So even if you're an, uh, an accountant, let's say, or something that's traditionally uh, associated with sort of a mind-numbing, you know, uh, thing, there's got to be creativity in it. I mean, just being able to be an accountant is creative in its own right. Uh, and if Absolutely. I, yeah, there's something interesting about that. Um, sidebar, I think that creativity should be part of every single vocation like i think it makes you a better whatever you are if you can if you can think creatively about any problem any anything um even as a even as a practice like i think that all all school subjects when taught should involve some some creative angle and whether that's your forte or not i think that it's a it's a learning style that isn't necessarily explored that much and and everybody's different but if we learn to like interact with those different styles of thinking and 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 add that to any vocation i think we're stronger (laughs) yeah that's great i you know i think yeah if you tell many people to be creative they assume that that you want to do it with the with the paintbrush but it means something functionally different it's a way of thinking i think it's yeah. a way of, of approaching something and problem solving. And and I think that empathy ties in with that too, because mm. no matter what you do, you probably have to interact with someone else. And one of the things that I'm really interested in in my work uh, is creating empathy for someone or, or a group that you 
don't empathize with yet, even, and I'm not saying because you're a bad person, but just because you haven't looked at things from that perspective in a way that's meaningful. And that's something that's important to me when I create is, is to, is to instill that in, in, in the audience. And, and that's helpful no matter what you're doing. If you can, if you're, if you're dealing with a difficult person at the office, if you can see where they're coming from, even if you disagree with them, it makes the situation better. <laughs> yeah, it changes the tone anyways, even yeah. whether it does anything to the result. Uh, you know, it goes back to the second thing I was thinking about. Uh, I mean, the empathy is a better angle, but, you know, you talk a lot about uh, having an audience wanting to tell a story, but also believing that there's a story that needs to be told to said audience. So I kind of go back earlier to this idea of how intentional, for example, do you design or, or uh, select an audience? Like, are you, before you start a new project, are you already thinking, you know, I, I, I want to, I just read maybe something in the news about somebody who's 16 and went through this trouble or someone's 35 and had this thing happen to their family. Uh, is there a way to connect with those people? Or is it more that a story will arise and then you try to see where the, sh you know, the story is telling you to connect? Like, you know, maybe it's a story about a 15-year-old, but it's actually told to their parents, etc. I mean, uh, wh what is that sort of creative uh, process like for uh, movie makers? Uh, I mean, it must be different for everybody, but... Uh, I'm sure it is. Yeah. Um, for me, the project dictates who the audience is. I know other people have a very specific audience they serve all the time, and that's really wonderful too. Uh, so then where did the projects come from? Oh, that depends. <laughs> um, I had in the past not necessarily done my homework on the audience, and, uh, and I think my projects suffered for that, not artistically, but as far as anyone ever seeing them. Mm. You know what I mean? I didn't structure them in a way that made them super saleable, for example, mm -hmm. um, even though, you know, I might be proud of the, the, the end product and, and happy with the story. It's hard to sh fit it in a, the genre menu on Netflix, you know, it, 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 they're it's, in between. It's just the story that was important. Yeah. Um, so for the project that I'm working on right now, which is um, a virtual reality web series, it is adapted from a theater production that I saw. Uh, and I, I went to the workshop version of, of this play and uh, with, uh, with my um, erratic pictures uh, partner. And we came out of that play with our minds blown and we were like, that has to be in virtual reality, that we have to make this and we have to make it virtual reality and so we didn't really have it a choice that project grabbed us and made us first of all learn what virtual reality really was and um we've been working on making that a reality for almost three years now so um and and the characters in that play i think really dictated our audience for the series which is which is young people, sort of 15 to 25 years old, who are struggling with identity. So that that's the main audience and the audience we're serving, the audience that's underrepresented and who needs to see themselves on screen, if you can call virtual reality on screen. Um, and then, of course, the secondary audience is everyone who needs to see that perspective and everyone who needs to empathize with that Would be willing to, I suppose. Yeah. Uh, it's interesting you bring that up. I'm... Have a secret project that uh, 
I'm working with a couple of uh, amazing UFC students about an app that's uh, delving into AR, into augmented reality. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe Anna will be talking after this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of fascinating. Uh, I mean, I know that the idea of uh, augmented virtual or, you know, whatever the different uh, acronyms are, is just going to start to trend because it's just what's happening. But... Um, that you, for example, and your erratic pictures partner want to use it to tell a story about identity is fascinating because uh, um, we are starting with this idea of uh, arts, um, but as I'm learning from this business seminar, that's probably too broad. Um, yes, uh, being specific <laughs> can help you be universal well, a lot of the time. <laughs> it's the dialectics, it's fascinating. I, um <laughs> So yeah, I'm no longer sh- shocked when I learned that I've got everything. Maybe not inside out, but they they all there's a duality to everything. But <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I, I'm kind of getting stuck because everything that sort of popped up as an issue yesterday, of course, would come up today. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's just how life works, I mm-hmm. guess. I think maybe we can use this as a segue for that other uh, piece that we kind of briefly chatted about uh, before we started the podcast, which is whether it's a Calgary thing, a North America thing, a global social thing, this um, either uh, contrast between wanting to do art for art's sake, to tell a story, or having a business and need to speak to people about money or about credit or whatever it is, or perhaps a different way to put it is, um, uh, you know, this maybe a business ideology of selling a project or story as something that they want to listen to in the first place, or like, how does this help you? And no longer has anything to do with me. And that sort of broad idea of, um, you know, learning to get away from that uh, yeah, pr- almost prima donna thing where like, well, you know, I made this picture and I don't give a shit if you like it or not, because this is art, you know, versus, okay, well, now I've got to survive. I've got to eat. So I still want to have this creative uh, input and ability to tell said story, but I need to know if anybody's willing to listen or or pay me uh, or interact with me, uh, and I can't make them do that. Um, so do you have any insight in the movie business about how that works, either with, for, for example, people who fund projects or audiences, or, I mean, even as a young woman, uh, getting into film festivals has to be a big thing, you know, like... Mm-hmm. Uh, how do you know when when you have the gall to submit, to pay an entry fee, to even think that your project's worth doing, uh, you know, et cetera? Like, it's, I mean, it's a lot of things I just brought up, but... Um. I mean, <laughs> it's tough. I think when it comes down to it, it really depends who you're talking to. It depends on who your audience is um, when, you're, mm. when you're talking about a project. Um, and that's fair enough because every person you talk to, every person who funds projects has a different agenda. Uh, They have a different um, mandate. The way that I pitch a project to the Canada Council for the Arts is very different than the way I pitch a project to the Independent Production Fund. Um, One of them is a grant, and the other one is hoping they'll get paid back from your profits. So that's not to say that I'm being deceptive with either one, because um, hopefully my my work has both artistic merit and uh, has the potential to pay the bills. I mean, that's the hope, right? And, and so 
framing what you're doing in those different respects is 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 really important. Um, and that's like that's talking about a very specifically you know creative project. Um, as far as you, something that uh, erratic pictures also does, which is um, make video content for charities and nonprofit organizations, stuff like that. Um, I mean, for me, if I'm if I care about what what the message is, like whether it's um, for a women's shelter or for um, raising the awareness about mental health and addiction, and like those are those are things I've made videos about, things that I care about, and 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 the audience for that obviously is quite different. You're and you're the people that you're um, being funded by are the people who are uh, requesting this 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 video, this content. So I mean, you think about it very differently in that regard. When do you describe yourself as a filmmaker? When oh, do you yeah. describe yourself as a story maker, as a business? Um... Yeah. Yeah. So I find like I, I run a small production company. That is truth. That is a true statement about myself. I also am a filmmaker. That is also true. I find that when I'm in Calgary, I describe myself as someone who runs a small production company. And that is par partially my insecurity and partially like the way that I know the culture is here. Like here in Calgary, we value business and we're also sort of justifying our existence uh, against a very large industry. In in fitting into this world, we we adapt the language we use to to that world. Whereas I found that when I said I was a filmmaker in Toronto, people were like, oh yeah, cool. They They weren't like, oh, how do you make a living? Um, which is what I get here. Like, oh, you're a filmmaker. So what do you do? That's not across the board, of course, but enough to, for me to change my behavior and change the language I use. Like this, that's how I fit in here is I'm, a, I'm contributing mm -hmm. to, you know, I'm, uh, to, to the team, to the economy, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, which, is, which is important. Um, I think it's a privilege to be a creator like i can't i would love a world in which i can just make what i want to make and i don't have to justify it to anyone that sounds great but i don't see a world in which that's possible for me right now like i'm nobody knows me and and what's my why should they listen to me and i i can't survive if i just do that i wonder like going back to the beginning of our conversation if there's something I mean, I think it's kind of sense to use the word naive, but something about that last wish that doesn't actually make sense, which is that art, the creation of art um, and art as an object or as an existence requires an audience. Mm -hmm. Now, whether the terms have to be economical or, you know, whatever the culture dictates, but, but that other, it feels like a naive belief that I can just paint and then I'm complete. It's like, if I just throw paint somewhere and nobody sees it or I can't interact with somebody about it or show empathy or be part of a larger story, be it financial or whatever it is, it, it becomes irrelevant. I, I wonder if there's something to that that, because I, I get that a lot too, you know, and I feel like it's becoming a bit of a, a self-defensive thing where, you know, well, and nobody bought this thing. Well, I just, you know, I just, as long as I get to make art, my life is good. And it's like, I don't know if that's actually true. I mean, it's such a complex thing where 
you know, I don't want to necessarily need to feed the ego part, but there has to be someone, I hope, that at least responds to it. Otherwise, uh, it becomes very narrow very quickly, I think, uh, and I'm, loses a lot of its value. Yeah, I mean, if you're, I think there's definitely something to be said for the act of creation and that being something that's vital to a lot of people. And I acknowledge that and respect it. And if that's all a person needs is to create and then they can go through the rest of their life in happiness, that's wonderful. Specifically for filmmaking, I I feel like I need my audience. I think about them through the process. And if if I don't deliver them something and see their reactions, then I'm missing a whole piece of of, of the puzzle for, for me. And um, part of it is, I'm sure, like, ego. Part of it is a need to see that I've fulfilled my goals. And and part of it, it's, it is, it's, I think, a part of, of the art form is putting it in front of the audience. Like, I, I think any performer will say the same thing, like, live theater, when the audience is laughing or crying or getting uncomfortable, that's, that's part of, the art, it's, 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 you can't separate it from the experience. It's, it's vital. And, and, and people experiencing that respond to how the other people are experiencing it around them. And, and that's a beautiful thing. So I, I don't think I could ever create in a void forever. I definitely do do things that no one else sees and, and draw things and write things and, and even shoot things that, you know, they're just for me or they're just, or they're not ready for anyone else and, and they're a practice, but I, I, I definitely need to involve an audience in what I do. I'll bring up apparently Kyle's uh, most hated movie, Bohemian Rhapsody, which I watched on the weekend and it made me cry. <laughs> I mean, he apparently hated it. Uh, that's on him. Um, and then, you know, reading both, up. <laughs> both are valid um, experiences to have had at the film. <laughs> <laughs> this is why you need a mic, Kyle. And uh, uh, after... Like uh, I wept. I mean, Queen is a big part of my uh, youth. But um, after I opened up, you know, the wiki and the Google and find out how many creative liberties are taking that film, etc., it it takes away a little bit of the magic for sure. But one of the fascinating things I think to this point is the suggestion that Freddie Mercury is kind of playing with the piano riff of Bohemian Rhapsody even before their first album is created. That there's an element where the creative process needs to be about ourselves in in many ways it's some expression of something that we can't i mean it's cheesy but like can't keep inside of ourselves you know it needs mm-hmm. to be put out yeah um but there's also this other element that if that piano riff stayed on that little piano in that flat in the 19 you know 1970 allegedly it's just a movie kyle you don't have to be upset about it but then it doesn't matter. If that never becomes Bohemian Rhapsody, then, then who gives a shit if you played a couple of notes on a piano, even if it was valuable for... So there's a weird thing there. there there's a woman that became famous, uh, Vivian Meyer, the, the street, photog- uh, street photographer. When the story becomes that, you know, she passed away and nobody had ever seen her film and there's some uh, ethos there. There's some, yeah, empathy because you're like, oh, how could that possibly... She must have been so miserable. But then when you're wiki, like she was actually like a... Um, a newspaper photographer and like she had a f- photographic life it's just they found more of personal work that we respond to more but then you you know the same question arises which is if the work that she did privately those beautiful portraits of kids in you know new york city in the 19 whatever it was 50s if she had that in front of somebody and somebody had been able to respond to it 
I mean, it would fundamentally change your life too, both as a person, as an artist, as everything. So mm-hmm. there's that communal, societal energy. I think that's crucial to everything that we do as creators. You can't just create in a vacuum, I, I, I think. Maybe you can. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> but maybe we can't. Backwoods. Maybe you and I can't. <laughs> yeah. I can't even start a fire, so I couldn't go out and live in the woods by myself <laughs> to become one of those. Not in this creative. climate. No. I'm just... I'm just woodland illiterate now. I'm not sure if I could pitch a tent. I'll have to think about that. <laughs> um, the other thing that I'm thinking about, I, at least again, for me is, you know, being able to reflect on what you do as a creative process with different language, to talk to different types of people becomes so crucial. Whereas, for example, for me, I would only do it one way and then anything else would seem like someone's trying to control my process. Or if I sell ads to somebody, that means I'm no longer somebody. Or if I get an investor, um, then I've got to do it their way because they're giving me money. And I think that's a naivety and a childishness on my part, it sounds like. Uh, I mean, I don't know how long it would take you as a filmmaker to kind of come to terms with that. But, you know, if the first project you asked um, an investor who is looking for a profit back, that's got a strain on the creative thinking whereas you got to start you start worrying too much about you know is this going to sell are people actually going to buy tickets am i going to owe money at the end of this sort of thing mm-hmm. uh, i mean is the sistine chapel any less beautiful because the vatican commissioned it mm. I, I guess <laughs> right that's maybe a lofty example but um i mean for me there's certain projects that i am not pitching right now because i don't think i could make enough money to or, or to do it right. I don't think people would trust me with enough money at this stage in my career to tell the story the way I want to tell it. Mm. Um, because I know the realities and I know that I have to be uh, a better filmmaker before I can, can convince people to trust me with, with those projects that are super close to my heart. And another part of that is knowing when to walk away from from an opportunity because not everyone like if you if you have your audience if you know what it is if you have your story if you know what what you want to say with it then you can you can kind of negotiate um, certain things like if if something's really important to a funder and you're like do you know what I can still serve my audience I can still tell the story the way I I need to tell it um, while making those changes then great like not. Not every change is going to take away what, what from what you want to do, and and not every change is necessarily bad. And I think having the confidence to know what you want to do and to know where you can in, insert other people's input is is really important. And that's important because unlike, um, well, this is maybe making a generalization, but unlike being a photographer. Being a filmmaker, you well, you can do it alone, but you rarely do it alone. Like you need, you have a whole crew. You've got creative heads. Like as a director, you've got a production designer and a cinematographer, and all those people have ideas. And oftentimes, um, well, if if you're very lucky, those ideas make your project better. So being able to identify the things that are going to improve your story and and bring it to a place that that you are comfortable with or or happy with or that you know will strengthen it. Um, is is super important, and it's it's the same with funding, and it's the same with with any input, I think. And also get when getting feedback on it, knowing 
which feedback you're going to act on and which feedback you're going to just be like, okay, I'll never appeal to that type of person. And that's okay because because I'm serving this group instead for this project and and I can I can take that and I can I can live with that. Yeah, going to semantics again there. <laughs> um confidence, humility, ego and how they get crossed up a lot. Yeah. You know where we I once used to believe that humility was about humiliation. That means you lost something and that confidence was more what I now I believe is ego where it's like, well, I just know I'm the best. It's like the it's something, it's something completely different. Um, and when you get that starting to sort out, whether it takes age, experience, or you're just born with it, um, then what you're talking about makes so much sense, being able to say yes to, the, to creative situations, no to ones that, um, whether it's intuitively or um, you know, rationally, you know, aren't actually going to play out. And you don't need to be enslaved by that, uh, by that moment. That's uh, fascinating. Um, as usual, as we're getting into this conversation and I haven't been able to get into the concepts I really wanted to, Kyle's telling me we have to finish. Just give me the five minutes. Just ruining the flow of the whole thing. Kyle, even when he's tired, he's just just, just being such a he's bully. He's just on it. I know. <laughs> uh, no, uh, he gave me the five-minute signal, which means uh, about 10 minutes ago. So uh, I think we got to wrap up. Um, okay. I mean, first, thank you so much for hanging out. You're welcome. Um, I hope we can stay in touch. Uh, I mean, just, I think I need your mentorship more than anything, but even this <laughs> VR AR thing is fascinating. I I mean, not that I deserve, for example, to get an inside, inside scoop, but I'd love well, to learn more. on that note, um, we actually are running a free virtual reality evening at the CSIF oh. on March 29th. Oh. Um, it's partially to just let people come and try out VR. And uh, we're, Erratic Pictures is partnering with Mammoth XR, which is a virtual reality... That was the other acronym, XR. Yeah, go ahead. Sorry. ...company in, in Calgary. And so we'll have a whole bunch of headsets. We'll have um, a proof of concept of our project, as well as a bunch of other stuff for people to try out. So um, I'll give you the information for that. And if maybe if you want to put it in the show notes for this, then... Not just that. I think uh, two things. I mean, I'll try to push as much on whatever media platforms I have access to, but also I'm going to talk to my team and see if my, my peeps, my UFC peeps are available that night so we can go and check it out. They're welcome to come. Okay. Yeah. Um, any other projects, plugs, or interesting notes to throw in here? Uh, yeah. If, um, if people want to check out everyone we know will be there, virtual reality. So on YouTube, everyone will be there, VR. Um, and on Facebook and Instagram, um, EWKVR. Uh, that's our virtual reality uh, theater adaptation that we're trying to get funded right now. And even just watching our trailer, um, our audience engagement is part of um, the pitch. The pitch. So um, even just watching it, uh, and if you like it, share it. That 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 would be awesome. I have a secret party I built on Friday. Kyle, you're coming to the secret party, right? He's nodding. He's either nodding or nodding asleep. We'll find out when we open the door. Um, this Friday, uh, with people of the demographic of probably, yeah, 18 to 25, um, I'll talk to them about it. But they may not listen to me because I, I, I old and uh, I ain't hip. So we'll see if uh, Kyle and I even figure into this party or if we're just hanging on the back like a couple of weirdos taking pictures of their phone. But, uh, <laughs> that, I mean, that's, our, that's what we're going to do, right? Essentially. Just be weird old guys taking pictures. He said we'll be the Stadler and Waldorf of the party. So just get a mic. Just get a mic. Okay, uh, that's it.
Uh, thank you. Thanks for having me. You send me so been hearing is a track called Gracious Host. It's graciously given to us by Thomas Thomas Band. They've just released their debut EP on Spotify. Um, check them out. They're awesome. They're all in yellow. Uh, I went to their launch party. I fell asleep too early to see them play because I'm too old. Um, but from all accounts, it was a killer party. Great listening. Local talent. Check them out. Give them a play, give them subscribe, give me your support. Thank you, Thomas Thomas, for setting the tone for this year's Perspectives YYC podcast. This podcast has been brought to you by Media Lab YYC. We help you share your stories with the public. Video, audio, business, personal. Let us help you take your idea to the finish line.